brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Emma Keeling. And I'm Shanice O'Mara. Coming up in this edition of Razor. I head to Sweden to investigate a new way of recycling plastic. Yeah, we can recycle all the plastics, but we can also do plastics from other kind of uh, carbon sources like wood chips or from uh, used uh, clothes or whatever. And I find out about a way to make electronics from wood. So actually here is uh, where we start to prepare the material that we use to produce the nanocellulose. Basically, we start cutting the wood here. These were all filmed before we went into COVID-19 lockdown, you'll be pleased to know. A fair portion of discarded electronics ends up in landfills and ends up harming our planet. A recent UN report found that we're throwing away more than 48 million tonnes of electronics a year. What if I told you, Emma, that there's one way to address that problem? Ah, oh, there's always another way, Shinny. <laughs> the Swiss Federal Laboratories for Material Sciences in Zurich, a wood-derived material which is an alternative to traditional plastics and polymers. I went to speak to Dr. Gilberto Sequeira, the lead scientist at the facility. So, Gilberto, we're in this beautiful wood workshop. What happens here? So, actually here is uh, where we start to prepare the material that we use to produce the nanocellulose. Basically, we start cutting the wood here. Yeah. We start with uh, the whole process. Is, here is kind of a summary of the whole process. We start with the bulk wood. We cut it to small pieces or... Gosh, so you almost grind it down to paper-thin strips. Yeah, yeah, the smallest you have in the beginning, the easiest for the fibrillation in the end. But we can, could have a just like wood chips as well. It would work. After this process, what we have is a chemical process, which is well established in the industry, where we produce such kind of uh, wood pulp. Here is the dried wood pulp. You can see this fiber-like structure that we have. It's like dried paper mache. Exactly. With the difference that in paper you have other compositions that you don't have here. In paper you have some minerals as well, but here you only have cellulose. So what I'm hearing is the key to this is cellulose. Now I remember this word from school science classes, but uh, that is a few decades ago, Shani, so maybe you could refresh my memory. No, <laughs> oh, I wish I was true. <laughs> well, cellulose is actually a fascinating substance because it's a polymer, which is a long chain of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen atoms. And it's really useful for helping plants to remain rigid. They're in the walls of plants, and that's what gives it its shape and structure. What I find fascinating about cellulose is the fact that they take these fibrils from the cellulose kind of molecular structure, and that is used to make 3D printing ink. Wow. Now, Shani, I must say, I watched the story and I was a little surprised and disappointed because you weren't wearing a lab coat. However, I see that they still decided to show you the process. Yeah, they certainly did. And I was getting splashed all over the place because this substance is basically 98% water and 2% cellulose. And it kind of looks like glue that you use to hang your wallpaper with. And um, what's fascinating about this is that they grind it down, and you'd never think of a liquid being ground down, but they, they put 
this liquid through um, a couple of graphite stones and they grind it down to a nanoscale. And then they use that ground down cellulose water mixture to make 3D printing ink. And it's all from trees. I find that fascinating. Dr. Gilberto explained it all. We have here a solution of cellulose fibers in water, 2% of cellulose, and the rest is water. So here, Dr. Gilberto showed me a machine that grinds the pulp down until we have this kind of gloopy mixture of water and cellulose, which looks like a big bowl of wallpaper glue. It gets pressed between big stones of graphite to bring out more of the cellulose. Soggy tissue paper that we looked at, it's become more like a liquid. Liquid like, as you can see here, it's very liquid yeah, material. Very liquid. And by grinding, we're going to liberate the fibrils, and this will change from liquid state to a jelly like state. Okay. OK, so this gluey substance is used as ink in a 3D printer. Now, you would think it could then be used uh, as what, in a broad range of areas. So can we use it in our phones and electronics? Can I start feeling better about all the electronics I use and then throw away? You know, we're definitely on the path. Electronics use about 30% plastic, which is really difficult to recover. And so this material is hopefully going to one day replace all of that plastic. I don't think we'll be using them in our phones and electronics quite yet, there's still a lot more development to go, but it's really exciting that all these electronics that we're so obsessed with using these days will one day be biodegradable. I got to speak to Gustav Nystrom, the head of the cellulose lab, who told me how they're hoping to take this technology into the future. The nanocellulose material that you've developed mm -hmm. is an insulating material. It mm -hmm. doesn't conduct electricity. Mm -hmm. How do you make it conductive and is it still biodegradable then? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this is a good question, So, and you're right. So the nanocellulose component is an electrical insulator. But it's very good dispersant in dispersing other active particles or molecules, and those can be conductive, uh, for instance. Then whether or not it's biodegradable, that depends on the type of particle you add to the system. So here we are not completely free, but we, there are bioresorbable metals, one can think about uh, maybe using carbon particles, uh, biodegradable other polymers. So there's uh, also some freedom there, but of course you cannot pick up any, ma any material. You have to, have to be a bit careful there so that the whole system is uh, biodegradable in the end. So Shani, is this just about proving the concept or are they actually using it in uh, you know, electronics and other things? It's definitely about proof of concept because the idea of being able to print circuit boards is quite an amazing innovation. And so they are trying to get the 3D printer ink just right. But one of the major things that they want to move into doing is making those circuit boards conductive. Currently using cellulose means that the circuit boards are not conductive, meaning that electricity can't pass through them. They're perfect insulators this replacement plastic, but that's not ideal. In electronics, you want electricity to be able to pass through circuit boards, and that's one of the main features of a circuit board. And so what they're hoping to do is embed materials into that cellulose that can conduct electricity. You know, that requires so much more work, and um, it's an innovation that they've yet to fully develop. 
And I guess if, as soon as you start to add metals, even if you've built something on cellulose, well, that's still polluting, isn't it? So aren't we, we've still got a bit of a problem here. Yeah, well, I went to We Charity in Manchester to find out about recovering precious metals from electronics. And it's actually quite astounding, the kind of metals that are in our electronics, from gold to titanium and copper, really expensive metals, actually. Um, we don't realize we're walking around with them in our in our phones and things. And a lot of those precious metals can be recovered already, but we just have to be very conscious about the way we trash our electronics. And actually, it's the plastic in our electronics that's less easy to recover. So once we mix this biodegradable plastic with these precious metals and maybe even conductive materials like graphene, we may have fully biodegradable electronics one day. Fingers crossed. So much like we discussed in your story, Shinny, we need to find new ways of recycling plastic and breaking our dependence on fossil fuels, which is what plastic is made from. So what do you have in store for us today, Emma? Well, I went to Sweden to speak with Henrik Thunman and his team at Chalmers University about this new process and why it could be a game changer for our planet. Why is it so hard to recycle plastic? Yeah, plastic in itself is not really so hard to recycle. The problem is that it's actually too cheap and simple to produce from the residues from refineries and from the gas industry. So you don't really have the, the resource to do that or have, have not have them before. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, I mean, as usual, it's always about cost, isn't it? But I mean, so what you're telling me is that you can recycle every single kind of plastic here. Yeah, Chinese. we can recycle all the plastics, but we can also do plastics from other kind of uh, carbon sources like wood chips or from uh, use clothes or whatever. But you can also do the plastic which, I mean, the end of, what do they call the end of life plastic, plastic that has nowhere else to go. You can break that down as well. Yeah, we can break it down. Everything that is containing a carbon, we can break down into original molecules and put them back together again. Into plastics, we can, but we can also do fuels or whatever. But here, of course, one wants to recycle the plastics. So this sounds like we're coming at the plastics problem from a very different angle to the green electronics story. Because instead of creating a brand new material that can replace plastics, they're actually doing things in Switzerland to use existing plastics, right? Yeah, so at Chalmers, they've tested, you know, all sorts of these different plastics. And as you heard Henrik say before, you know, we've got this car waste stuff, it's used, it's called Profuel, and it just looks like oily plastic pellets, it's revolting. Uh, but then it can all go into the plant, and different materials are broken down at different temperatures. But they've shown that they can limit waste significantly, and depending on the process, they can recycle 65 to 90% of the plastic. Gosh, so many people have been trying to do that. Is there like some magic ingredient that they're using where they can claim to achieve all those ambitions? You mean like the magic beans? <laughs> yeah. But in this case, it's the, it's the magic sand you'll be pleased to know. Really? Sand? Yeah. No way. The, the, the process that they've come up with is exactly the same process that makes plastic. But as, as Henrik explains, the sand or bed material, as they call it, is heated in a furnace with huge quantities of wood chips, which releases less CO2 than when it's heated compared to traditional Ooh, fossil fuels. It's getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. So the hot sand is actually coming down in that corner on the other side that uh -huh. we just looked at. And then we have 
So here, Henrik is explaining to me exactly what's happening in the process. So we're standing in front of a reactor with large valves where it's around eight to 900 degrees uh, temperature. And I'm going to simplify this process. So the sand is heated. It's combined with steam and plastic, and that's called steam cracking, which breaks plastic down to its molecular structure. And, and it's in that form of gases. And now some of these gases are waste, and some can be sold as chemicals, and others can be turned back into virgin plastic. The sand goes away, and then the gases go... Yeah, it goes out in this direction. And is what's it, is the sand just sand after that, or is there something attached to it? Or yeah, what? the sand, you, you, you get the sand at a lower temperature, but it also gets attached to some carbon that is coming from the plastic on top of it, and okay. also coming with ash components or fillers or other things that comes with the plastic right. impurities. Right, so like the, the impurities, the dirty stuff. The dirty stuff, yeah, and that is transported mostly together with uh, the bed material out on the other side. Emma, what kind of plastics are at the end of this amazing process? Is it obvious that they've been recycled? Well, yeah, it, it's a bit hard to tell. I mean, they've got these little pellets that they look very virginal to me. They're all clean and nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, the, the, at the beginning, you've got all these bits of this, you know, pro fuel and cables and, and, you know, they even chuck a bit of old clothing and wood chips in there. It's all sorts of things. And then they've got these, these clean pellets. So I guess, yes, in that situation, you could say, well, that looks like, clean plastic, virginal plastic, but then again, I can look at a clear piece of plastic and say, well, that's virgin plastic as well, but we don't know exactly, you know, what the molecular molecular structure is. Mm. You know, so many companies are trying to recycle plastic and it's such a energy intensive process, but also greenhouse gas emitting uh, process as well. How much of a reduction is there in CO2 production? Yeah, there's definitely CO2 or carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere. But, you know, this plant is in the city of Gothenburg. So there are regulations about what you can release in an area like that. And they do have these cleaners um, as well, so that the waste is sort of cleaned a bit before it's released. Uh, but, of course, the, the process could be cleaner and greener, and they are working on that. I mean, it, it, if they can trap the carbon dioxide in the process, that would be fantastic. And, and the vision is to develop this sort of sustainable circular system um, for the carbon-based materials. So, yeah, cleaner, greener, that's definitely the goal. Love it. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Razor. Remember, if you want to watch the stories we talked about today, go to cgtneurope.com and type in Razor. And remember to subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, see ya!